Blog Talk Radio. Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Cut my hips for your budget. 
grandfather killed my great-great-grandfather. And your white-great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather. And your white-grandfather raped my grandmother. And your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins to feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Some go in shock when they first hear the news. Press play and then rewind and review. But the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. You don't surrender, they take your life. And I remember some movies my mama used to show me. What's your name? Remember the times when they bought and they sold your free
have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, no, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move on the 7th day of May, 2023. Just as a sense of a reminder for history, we'd like to share with you on this day, on the 7th of May in 1954, the French imperialism met its grave in Vietnam. That's right. North Vietnam defeated the French imperialism on this day in 19. 1954. Let's just start y'all with a little bit of history. As Brother Malcolm once taught us, history is best to serve, is best to judge those who research it, is best to serve those who know it, is best to create, help you create a plan in terms of how you can go about achieving your liberation and freedom. History allows you and does all those things. So my brothers and sisters, let's get on board and learn our history. Today on Africa on Speak, Africa on the Move, we will speak on the theme today, which is Africa speaks to the big bad wolf. That's right. We're going to talk about Africa speaking to truth to power like we always do. Speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. That's our theme today. We encourage you to join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Like always, you know how we get started with our party. I'm your host, Brother Abaco, and we will introduce our political panelists for today's program. For all my political panelists for today's program, please hit one so I can acknowledge your number on my board. So right now, like always, we will go to Brother Haki. He's a representative of the African Awareness Association, and we will bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa Speaks. Africa on the move. Yes, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, thanks for having me. <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. You know, my thing, of course, Brother Africa is institution building. But, of course, you know, in this role to build institutions in the community, I think certain realities has to be acknowledged. You know, there's a certain amount of uh, innocence in terms, of, in terms of the way we think often. I think it is this sense of innocence it has to be discarded at, on some, at some point, and we begin to recognize the political reality that we find ourselves confronted with. One of the things is that when we talk about the move to the, to far, the, move to, to the far right in society, we have, to, we have to acknowledge the role corporations play in terms of moving this country to the far right. And if we don't understand that fundamental reality, then I think we create a hardship for ourselves 
in terms of not only appreciate the challenges that we're confronted with, but what we have to do in terms of um, uh, negating those challenges. In any, any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, political movements in the U.S. to the right or the far right is no accident, but a testament to the power of corporate, corporate decisions and its abuse of power. James Madison warned of the corrosive power of big business and its potential ability to usurp political institutions, placing us all in harm's way. Madison's words proved prophetic. U.S. corporate structures directly implicated in global debt and impoverishment of clearly, excuse me, of over two billion people. As a result of corporate power, ability to create this level of misery clearly political clout is a necessity. Starting during the colonial era, the original 13 colonies incorporated over 300 corporations over a relative short short period over years. As a matter of fact, this miraculous feat was achieved by political leaders who themselves benefited from corporate expansion. By 1819, in less than 30 years, big business interests were able to compel the Supreme Court to address their concerns. Their concerns centered around what big business considered unnecessary intrusion in big business affairs that undermine making profits for big businesses. Politicians' assertion big businesses should serve the interests of the citizens was not a philosophy shared by big business. Petition the Supreme Court ruling to end the unnecessary political contradiction conditions of social responsibility by big businesses uh, to the people. They prevailed in court they, pre- they prevailed in court in which the autonomy of big, big businesses was affirmed and any responsibility of big businesses to the community were extinguished. Opportunity to maximize profits at the expense of citizens or the government revenues was assured. Lives of the people were viewed as unimportant. Citizens were just a means to an end and their exploitation, economic economic and otherwise, was viewed as a standard business ethics, regardless of poverty, inequality, and workplace injury or death. Now, this early Supreme Court precedent gave rise to corporate practices today in which the civil and human rights of citizens are systematically violated with little, if any, pushback from elected representatives. This canon of corporate ethics is encapsulated in corporate functions in three diverse ways. One, pursuit of corporate profits could never be considered criminal when initiated by corporations. Two, investors would be shielded from defective product liability. And three, corporations are free to pass risk and costs or externalities to consumers. So situation where the corporations move in, construct, or uh, leave all kinds of hazardous chemicals behind, responsibility to clean it up and to pay for that lies on the citizens and not the corporation. Succinctly stated, all three conditions create the legal justification for corporations to abuse and use the citizens without legal ramifications even if the corporate strategy posed means death for the citizens. It should be noted the anonymous character of corporations' legitimacy comes from law or legal precedent. Earlier case law established legal parameters for corporate activities, but case law currently established an increase in corporate power with fewer limitations. Limitations I'm talking about are limitations imposed on the citizens. The formula appears to be less democracy and more authoritarianism. Two recent cases are instructive. First case, Citizens United. This case essentially defined corporations as people. In defining corporations as people, these powerful entities are seen as individuals with a right to self-expression, self-determination, and pursuit of liberty. In short, corporate pursuit of its interests means inequality, poverty, and death for those subjected to corporate mandates are not of concern. Second case, Burrell versus Hobby, Hobby, Hobby Lobby. 
This case essentially justifies discrimination based upon religion. Supreme Court rules and <clears throat> an owner of a business can deny employees access to contraceptives as part of a health plan. This ruling essentially regulates control of quality of life issues where contraceptive is difference between life and death. Elevating tenets of specific religion by definition invalidate other religions, creating a perception government favors Christianity or all over others. Such a dangerous precedent in a divided country leaning right is very, very dangerous. Now, the discussion could be held about corporate use of non-compete clauses for employees, use of independent contractor labors, or use of enslaved children in Africa to produce cocoa, a Nestle Corporation's most recent example, and the great implications therein. But the more pervasive problem, aside from law, is a self-imposed, uh, self-imposed, self-instituted monitoring system established by corporations themselves determining liability of corporations. Specifically, I am referring to security laws. Such laws are established to protect the interests of capital, in other words, the interests of investors. This law attempts to create transparency concerning trades and stocks and bonds, but it shows no interest in the morality of trades or their impact on society. For example, it was disclosed, <clears throat> despite Paris Agreement in 2015 to address global warming, 20 of the largest corp- companies will invest $943 billion by 2013 and $1.5 trillion in 2014 to greenhouse gases. Despite the health problems resulting from global temperature increases like respiratory problems, heart disease, uh, diseases like malaria and Lyme disease, and, and waterborne illnesses, corporations demonstrate little, if any, <clears throat> empathy for human life. Even more disturbing in carrying out corporate mandates is implicit assumption by corporations or inherent right to destroy life with impunity. Corporate policy specifically designed to roll back human education sets the stage for political conflict resulting in needless conflict and deaths. Corporations continue to promote far-right narratives, legitimize authoritarianism, and false patriotism that promotes ethnic groups and sexual minorities as the perceived others or the perceived enemy. Unlike corporate media, Excuse me, I'm not corporate media. The embrace of far-right narrative by other corporations is endorsed by financial contributions and funding for individuals or groups espousing both violent and violent views, <coughs> uh, views which are calculated to encourage fascism. Ironically, this indifference to human life manifests more broadly in technologies to monitor and survey the population out of fear the population will rise up. This propensity against justice is a clear indication by corporations, their respect for life is non-existing. And this, <coughs> and this is no exaggeration. The American Legislative Executive Committee, ALEC, exists, exists specifically to instruct corporations how to scientifically oppress the citizenry and move the country to the right. Methods include coercion the universities to hire only far-right professors, stringent hiring policies for corporations, progressives need not apply, and elimination of African history on college campuses, and corporate investments of far-right candidates for state and local. Consequently, as corporations embrace these strategies, the identity factor weighs large. Corporations embrace these strategies because such strategies not only serve the interests of corporations, but reflect the right-meaning ideology of many corporate board members. If reports hold true, 70% of corporate leaders identify as conservative. If conservative means people who embrace tradition, resistance to change is their motto. Obviously, if addressing climate change can potentially contribute to political change, why would corporate entities like corporations embrace change? Likewise, if mass protests potentially could lead to political change, would not it be in the interest of corporations to discourage or undermine protests that shine a light on U.S. inequality?
If that be the case, the rightward drift of U.S. society is consistent with the corporate agenda, which is in itself opposes change. The fact capitalist societies are centrally controlled by corporations, right-wing, rightward drift is both expected and the norm. Only the enlightened would think otherwise. And Brother Africa, I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to Brother Anthony, who's a member of the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. We bring in Brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father and Brother Anthony, next we'll go to Brother Moses, who's a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We now will bring in Brother Moses, and we'd like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. The struggle is continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few, and we have to give out truth and information that is correct and that will help liberate our people. This is the struggle uh, to be politically conscious, to serve the people, and to keep politics in command. Thank you, thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we also will go to another member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, which is Sister Eleanor, and we would like to welcome her as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, and thank you for having me on Africa on the Move. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm an environmentalist, an artist, and a human rights advocate. I've spent my life as an educator. I'd like to welcome your the fellow panelists. Once again, thank you for having me on this evening's program, Brother Africa. And I'd like to say greetings to our audience here in the United States and abroad. Thank you very much. Good thank you, sir. thank you, Sister Eleanor. I believe we have with us Brother Subukwe, twenty-seven fourteen. Introduce yourself and your organization, Brother Subukwe. Welcome to Africa on the Move, twenty-seven fourteen. Thank you, thank you, uh, Brother African. 
Uh, I'm not always there when you call me, but I, I, I try to be there when you need me. This is Brother Maurice. Um, I'm a member of PPAN, African Revolutionary Socialist Party, and I'm also a supporter of African on the Move, of AAPRSP, um, All African Revolutionary, uh, All African People Revolutionary Party. Um, and thank you for having me here tonight. Um, it's been a long time coming, brother. And I know in your introduction, brother, to Bukwe, you want to not leave out the GC at the end of the AAPRP to make the distinction. Thank, of yeah, thank, thank you, man. I'm, no. I'm rusty. Thank you for stay, stay on top of me, man. No problem, brother. Glad to have you. And also we have with us call of 9345-9345. Introduce yourself and your organization. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. 9345. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Mary Mabuya. It's good to be listening to your show tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, you stay, Sister Yah. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll come back to you. Thank you, my sister. Mabuya, yes. All right, thank you. Hello. Right. Hi. Hello. Go ahead, sister. Anything else you'd like to say, sister? Thank you for having me on your show tonight. I am enjoying listening to you. Thank you very much. I am thank from you, Richmond, sister. Virginia. Thank you, my sister. Yes, okay, thank you. To- Okay, you listen to Africa on the Move. Um, it's a program that comes on every Sunday at 7 p.m. under the banner of the African Women's Association. We always try to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. Today's topic will be on Africa Speaks to the Big Bang Wolf. But before we go to that topic, like always, you know how we start our party out, and that's to first and foremost, we're going to do a little something called What's Going On in Your World in the Community. We're going to start off what's going on in your world in the community with our political panelists and analysts when we come back from this revolutionary culture break. This is Brother Africa, and you're listening to Africa on the Moon.
Carter and James living in pain Today is the same and nothing ever changes Hung by the news, can't tell the truth Filled with abuse and everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong To last through my journey Yeah, to last through my journey When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Palominos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. At this particular time, we're going to make our transition to a segment, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. Right now, we're bringing back our political analyst, political analyst for today's program, and we're going to ask the question, what's going on in that world and the community? Sound off with Brother Haki. We'll bring you back in, Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, <clears throat> I got one of those uh, philosophical questions for you, and that is, why is it so difficult to, to fire, you know, bad police? Uh, it's a very interesting, uh, um, uh, it's a very interesting paradox. But one of the things is very, very clear, when you look behind the scene and look at the politics that are being played, then certainly one could understand why, you know, getting rid of po- bad police is so, so very, very difficult. So I thought I'd talk briefly about in terms of some of the factors behind the scene in which we're conditioned not to even think about. But nonetheless, we need to understand in terms of why bad police continue to be part of these police agencies you know, throughout the country. Now, the ability to fire sociopathic police officers is as much about the dissemination of federal state power as it is about democracy. The philosophical undertow that discourages the firing of bad police is much about, moral, is, is much about morality deficits as it is about power. Capitalism's longevity has always depended on force to subordinate the will of the people, and this tendency is strongly implicated in the leniency of foreign police who terrorize and kill citizens. Recently, the conclusion of investigation concerning Captain Javier Ortiz of Miami concluded. After being fired for behavior unbecoming of an officer, he was reinstated. Despite a two-year investigation depicting dubious arrests, i.e. making up evidence, and numerous assaults on ethnic minorities, one culminating in breaking the eye socket of a young protester, Francois Alexandre. Ortiz was reinstated in part by a contractual degree by police unions indicating the terms of termination. While the state was obliged to honor the terms of the police union contract, federal authorities aided his reinstatement by declaring violation of citizens' rights were not sufficient for Ortiz and under qualified immunity, Ortiz's actions were justified. Now, the reality is no meaningful discussion can be ventured without effort to deconstruct the anti-democratic role played by police unions to protect, to protect police who are problematic. It has to be established police unions can only exist with the support and collaboration of state and federal institutions that give police unions legitimacy, particularly as it applies to police abuse and killing of citizens. 
The more subtle impact of police unions can be discerned from statistics that reveal the bureaucratic under, underside which conceals the heinous impact of police unions' operations. Chicago Law School reported collective bargaining rights or unions led to a 40% increase in violent incidents of misconduct by police. In pragmatic terms, the statistics evaluating police unions are more daunting. A 2006 Bureau of Justice report concluded in cases where police unions are compelled to keep statistics on police behavior, even in cases where their own statistics indicate there is a problem officer or problem officers among the ranks, among the ranks, the same police union employ obstacles and even change info on reports in order to impede investigation. If the investigation reached the appeal stage process, odds are only about 6% of all bad cops would be terminated. By 2018, erecting roadblocks to ensure bad police remain on the force was so problematic, University of Penn defined the issue as grave. Now, the bureaucratic challenges of getting rid of bad police is one challenge, but the more Herculean uh, challenge is negating the fascist mindset that exists among many conservatives who occupy police agencies. The level of deference or blind allegiance to the state makes such individuals desirable candidates for police, but at the same time bring with them preconceived notions of a state that's all-powerful. Democracy is an alien concept, and, <clears throat> and doing as the state directs is all that matters to them. Now, this mindset is prevalent among U.S. law enforcement. Two examples I think are very, very relevant. One, 57 members of Buffalo Police Department resigned because two police officers assaulted a 75-year-old man who was observing a protest. The elder man suffered head and brain trauma from being pushed to the ground. If lack of empathy among the 57 police were not disconcerting enough, the same 57 police, along with the two fired cops, were invited by the police union representative via Facebook to join the police department in Brevard County, Florida. Union rep representative Bert Gammon, who offers a job, has yet to face censure or indignation from police officials anywhere in the entire United States of America. Second example of fascist predilection among many police agencies in the U.S. involves case of several environmental activists charged with felony for distributing flyers in Bartow, Georgia, 40 miles from Atlanta, Georgia, detailing name of the cop suspected of killing Michael Turan during an environmental protest calling attention to destruction of pristine forests to build a facility, a $90 million facility, to train police officers in Atlanta, Georgia. Indictment of these activists are consistent with strategies police unions employ to prevent the dissemination of truth getting out. Constitutional democracy says access to information is a public's right, so revealing information that should have been is highly criminal. Access to the officer's name <clears throat> allegedly, allegedly involved in a shooting does not violate constitutional protections because the information revealed on a flyer does not disclose all facts relevant to the case, just his name according to police officials not to mention the flyers were distributed outside of Atlanta's jurisdiction where the event actually occurred. There is no doubt law enforcement authorities saw the flyers as problematic in that strategies are normally employed by, by police unions normally distributing, uh, norm, normally on secrecy. Distributing these flyers compl complicated law enforcement, and at that point, state officials strategized in three ways to, re to resolve that. One, there is a Excuse me, let me do it again. I totally blew that one. Let me do it again. There's no doubt law enforcement authorities saw the flyers as problematic in that strategies normally employed by police unions normally depend on secrecy. 
Distributing those flyers was complicated law enforcement and, at this point, state officials' strategies in three ways. One, there is a, there is a name which can be used to access pictures of the officer. Pictures increases are people who observe the shooting may come forward. Secondly, the ability of state to concoct a narrative gets more complicated because of numerous acts factors as a result of dissemination of that information. Thirdly, possibility the media under federal federal <clears throat> on FOIA may inquire about the officer's record as 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 as, as a police officer under the Freedom of Information Act. Now, interestingly, we should note that media has the, the financial backing to fight the state in court, and this course represents a, 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 a real threat to those positions of power, both in the state and, the, uh, state and police agencies. All these issues raise the question, what is the compelling interest by federal and state officials through use of police unions to protect bad cops? Some argue the shortage of police officers resulting from budgetary shortfalls and state coffers is justified reason, arguing police are a viable, uh, are a viable commodity as if hiring others in time of rising unemployment is an impossible task to achieve. I suspect the resistance to hire replacing those retiring or resigning has more to do with the caliber of potential candidates. In a time of economic decline, callousness is an important commodity. Law enforcement bureaucracy, augmented by state and federal officials, wants candidates who will not hesitate to assault or kill citizens in the name of carrying out their duties. Bad cops are not only willing but have a history of consistency assaulting, killing, and falsifying evidence against drakes of society, including minorities, gays, and progressives. For government officials and law enforcement officials, it is no-brainer. Protecting what is perceived as an asset is better than taking a chance on hiring neophytes new to policing who may bring idealistic values to the profession, whose democratic ideals will pose conflict to the values established by bureaucracy and law enforcement circles. The bottom line is bad cops will not disappear. An uncomfortable truth is, as the U.S. society leaps forward into authoritarianism, the kind of people government embrace or support in law enforcement will not be the kind of people who embrace multiculturalism, something truly to contemplate. And I encourage people to definitely contemplate that reality. And I close that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we're going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Uh, several things. Uh, Jordan Neely was lynched uh, last Monday, May 1st, on New York subway, uh, specifically the F train, by, uh, by European... Uh, a vigilante, and what what happened was he had he had got a uh, he had, he uh, Jordan Neely had gotten on the train, saying he did not have food, he did not have drink, and he's fed up. He had yelled in the train, and uh, he also said he didn't mind going to jail, getting a life in prison. I'm ready to die. Uh, witnesses indicated he did not assault or threaten anyone on the train, but but a, a European uh, who choked and death grabbed him from behind. The police released Neely's killer after questioning and didn't bring any charges. The coroner has ruled the death a homicide. 
anyway, uh, anyway, that, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's see, other people on the train held down Neely's arms and legs to pre- preventing him from fighting back against this attack. And uh, let's see the uh, uh, the the, the rationale uh, that the uh, that the man gave for putting him in a chokehold was that he was acting in self-defense. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, this is an example of how people with mental problems are dealt with you know, in this society, and uh, particular in New York. And uh, also, um, uh, let's see, uh, and what, uh, uh, let's see, no, uh, uh, no one made a move to help uh, Neely. And, um, you know, so that... Uh, uh, that was the horror behind that. Uh, Juan Guaido uh, it has fled to to the U.S. Uh, from um, Ecuador, I think, um, but I, I I could be mistaken in that. And uh, let's see, and uh, struggle uh, is intensifying between the haves and the have-nots as, uh, you know, as uh, uh, the imperialist countries move towards fascism away from the welfare state. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses? What's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, it's been an interesting week. I, I reviewed the news for the last six, seven days, according to the PBS and NewsHour, and 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 I've been listening to news during the week. Uh, and nothing stands out as extraordinarily different. Uh, the U.S. government is still fascist. Uh, is still trying to win the hearts and minds of the world's people to convert them to its its plan of of imperialism and profit-driven corporate greed. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that the objective conditions in the world. The internal contradictions of the world are such that Pan-Africanism is 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 needed to to um, to free the world's people of of the various forms of oppression that you know we have to the the, the most oppressed are the most revolutionary and and the the chain will probably be broken at its weakest link. And so, you know, the revolutionary storms in the East and Africa, you know, we're, 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 we're in support of them. And we, we're saying that, uh, we have to pay dear attention to Africa and what's going on in Africa. If we're going to improve the situation in the world, 
Meanwhile, the king of England has been coronated. Uh, they arrested a lot of people uh, who were who were protesting, I guess, uh, uh, and uh, it just shows that the ruling class is is in control and and they they uh, have the state at its at its at its behest. Those are the two things that are key things. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and community, Sister Eleanor? Thank you for having me. One, we I can tell I can tell you that the U.S. health system is in dire conditions. Um, uh, healthcare is continuing to decline in this country. Not only um, are uh, there constant attacks against Obamacare, but just the quality of care is diminishing. Also this week, uh, I found this phenomenal, is that the Justice Department has just indicted uh, three members of the African People's Socialist Party for advancing Russian propaganda. This charge carries a maximum of 10 years in prison. Um, They indicted a brother by the name of O'Malley, O-M-A-L-I, Yashitala. O'Malley Yashitali. Yep. They indicted O'Malley Yashitala and three other members of the African People's Socialist Party. Now, I don't understand whether it was because they said a rule, uh, what what the cause of this was, but uh, it's shocking that you could see such a thing uh, happen uh, to African people in this country. And as the other analyst said, you can, and Anthony talked about a young 24-year-old man who was a fabulous performance artist, but in poverty and mentally ill. He uh, was just murdered, and the person who murdered him uh, hadn't been indicted. There were no charges fought that may have changed since since uh, I last last heard, but there was no action taken against this uh, uh, murderer. And that the murderer, people are beginning and accept this idea across this country that murdering working class people, murdering Africans, Jews, children, and the working class is acceptable. Uh, we saw the event with the Asian people in Atlanta last year. And we saw in Atlanta again this year uh, a young man in a doctor's office uh, injured four people. I think one died. He was in a doctor's office. He was obviously ill, but he was armed and he took action. We also saw where a resident um, in a in a 
for residential community at Trailer Park. Um, folks said his neighbors had asked him to stop shooting so close to their home simply because the walls were so thin that if a bullet pierced, could easily pierce the wall and kill them. And the neighbor ends up uh, forcing his way into their home and killed uh, a family of four, including uh, a child under 10. So we continue to see mass murder. And to see O'Malley uh, indicted by the Justice Department is just I don't know how someone from the African People's Socialist Party could be indicted for advancing Russian propaganda. Now, the U.S. may have this, and the U.K. and the EU have this propaganda war going on, but shouldn't affect uh, the free speech of individuals here in the United States. And... uh, However, it seems to, and uh, as Robert said, we saw the coronation yesterday of Charles, King Charles III, whom uh, the coronation was quite different than that of his mother's. For his mother's coronation, 70 years ago, there were no women allowed except for the uh, maidens that were serving her, carrying her dress and that sort of thing. It was all men and all white men. So uh, somehow you managed to see some diversity in this coronation, which was uh, was 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 new uh, to the British Empire. I'm sure they have a long ways to go. And yes, there were arrests. Um, and that is about it. The U.S. continues to use Taiwan as a pawn to promote uh, military hostility towards China, which I believe is a big mistake uh, just simply because of the number of people in China and uh, the wealth of China would be a bad decision for the U.S. right now. And uh, at the same time, uh, we're indicting Africans in the United States on for free speech. We are uh, defending uh, a, a journalist in Russia who was uh, uh, indicted by the Russians and faces a five-year sentence for uh, work that he published. Um, in the Sudan, there were three weeks into a war in the Sudan. Uh, again, uh, uh the the word amongst the people in the community is that the U.S. have been providing weapons to uh, these forces in the Sudan, um, fueling the war in in the Sudan. And we 
seen how East Africa has been devastated by imperialism. We see where the Sudan is now two different countries. Uh, we see where Ethiopia is two different countries. It's Eritrea and Ethiopia, the, the northern Sudan and the southern Sudan. They were calling by fear who was ousted about four years ago, uh, an Arab, a black man who wore a, tur- a turban. The U.S. was calling him an Arab. So we continue to see misinformation. most shocking thing is the indictment of these four African people. For a quote, advancing Russian propaganda. Thank you, Sister Elnor. We're gonna have to stop you right there, and let's bring in that brother, that brother Shabukwe, and ask him what's going on in his world and community. Welcome, brother Shabukwe. As we already know, a lot is going on, um, more specifically with youth. I think we lost Brother Sabukwe. Hopefully we'll get him back on. What we're going to do right now, let's take a quick break, and if he comes back on, we'll bring him back. But we're going to start preparing ourselves for this for today's theme. After speech to Big Bear Wolf, and I see we have our Brother Sabukwe back. We can bring our Brother Sabukwe back and Brother Sabukwe. What's going on in your yes. community? My apologies. I'm having uh, technical difficulties. Um, first and foremost, um, again, I want to apologize for my earlier mistake. I am uh, so, uh, a supporter of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. I just wanted to um, clarify that and make that clear. And thank you, Brother Africa, for correcting me. I'm rusty uh, on the mic. But, yes, as I was saying before I was uh, – I had some technical difficulties. Um, a lot is going on in our world. Um, I wanted us to focus on um, our youth um, being murdered in the schools. We had two, uh, not murdered, but they were shot um, at, at a, a local high school here in, where I'm at in Richmond, Virginia. And I know it's happening all across on the continent at home and different parts of the world. But a, a positive in all of this, um, recently I came across an article of a sister, Kayla Austin. Um, she is a, a student at, at, at Howard University. She is an, she is an activist. And um, I came across an article in the Washington, Washington Post speaking about her developing a device, a device uh, she believes that would decrease um, accidental shootings um, by children. And it's interesting. Um, I tried to, because it, it was just a little blurb, you know, they had a picture of her, but it didn't really go in detail about this device. But um, some stuff that I came across on a, on a LinkedIn, I guess uh, this device would notify uh Parents or 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 or, or, or gun, gun owners with kids in the home if their gun has been removed from the home or some sort that I came across. But it's quite interesting that this sister uh, thought outside of the box by putting her you know 
putting her um i guess her her knowledge or her energy into trying to trying to create something that would prevent you for any you know five children from continuing continuing um perishing and dying but i just wanted to shed some some light on that um you know not necessarily uh not necessarily revolutionary in the political sense but i just wanted to it was just kind of interesting to see that she's trying to fight or trying to um trying to contribute in that way but i i would i would conclude by saying uh this is a great example we need this type of expertise overall combined with some political education and being connected to an to an organization um definitely which we can recruit uh sisters uh of of with this you know who are developing these type of um inventions uh into our organization we need all hands on board with trying to achieve uh a united socialist africa and uh we it starts with our youth so um just wanted to to just um you know just to shed some light on on that story but thank you thank you so much thank you brother sabuque to listen to brother africa and africa on the move we're going to take a culture break, and when we come back, we're going to entertain that theme tonight. After speaks to the Big Bear Wolf, we invite you to join us by dialing 323-679-0841, hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last phone number. So let's take this Revolutionary Culture Break, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Africa is the birthplace of mankind. Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, Emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba.
Before we make our transition to our theme today, Africa Speaks to the Big Bad Wolf, I'd like to just make a little quick announcement as it relates to upcoming events dealing with the Palestinian uh, movement and Palestine. We'd like to alert that to our listening audience, the American Muslim for Palestine, and there will be a coalition of partners in commemoration of Nakbak Day that will take place on Sunday, May the 14th, starting at 1 p.m. in front of the Washington Monument. So if you're interested in going to the rally supporting the Palestinians, that's this Sunday at 1 p.m. out at the Washington Monument starting at 1 p.m. For more information, you can email info at ampalestine.org, or there's a phone number they left that you can call, and that phone number, see if I can find it, is, I believe, 703-534-3032, So check out, support the Palestinian brothers and sisters, and that's this weekend, Sunday, 1 p.m. at the Monument in Washington, D.C. Also, panelists, that one issue I'd like to get your feedback on before we make a transition in terms of what's going on in our world community. I'm just interested in terms of um, this propaganda wall that's going on in terms of how the system continues to use our people to undermine each other. And I'm saying that in the area of the, of the sports arena. These so-called political pundits who are considering themselves as sports analysts and journalists and how they're allowed to go on the airways to directly and reinforce all of the negative things when it comes to African athletes. And even if they're not negative, if they're not performing to their, to their needs and their interests. They said things so it can be used against them for not receiving their proper um, their proper salary or a proper contract that 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 is based upon their value to the team and based upon the value of the things that they bring in terms of their services. You got all these political analysts; they constantly saying things, seem like to undermine the interests of the brothers and sisters who participate in sports, not to receive their full value when it comes to contra- contractual times. And they seem to only highlight African athletes and not other non-African athletes. Brother Haki, start out with you. What you make up with that? It's another way, again, Africans come to undermine each other, like on the plantation system. Your response, Brother Haki? <laughs> well, well, Brother Africa, you know, it's just the reality is, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's opportunism at its finest. I think one thing we have to appreciate those guys, those men and women understand in terms of giving their commentary, they understand to the extent that they belittle or demonize or put down or under undervalue African athletes, then the more they were shining the eyes of the people who control those who control those networks, who control the programming. In that sense it's a, it's, it's, it's a monetary move. I remember talking to Joe Henderson one time and and about the ask him, I said, Most of this crap about Larry Bird being the greatest basketball player of all time. He said, man, you know, we have to say that, man. You know, that's that's a good business decision. <laughs> so so it's understanding that, you know, that you have to appease the powers that be in terms of longevity, certainly in terms of make, potentially making money. 
uh, if you come across as being objective and honest in terms of, you know, as, as an, a, a, or perceived as an advocate of these athletes, particularly as African athletes, then you run the risk in terms of being perceived as a bad guy, someone who's out of bounds, someone who's, you know, someone who's not professional, someone who's simply, you know, biased. Uh, so it's a very difficult, it's a very, so it's a very difficult uh, uh, terrain that they navigate. But clearly, the question in terms of you know opportunism is very much a, a fact in terms of decisions that are made in terms of longevity. And these guys, under, these men and women, understand that you know if if you uh, apply the same type of critique to white athletes that you apply to African athletes, then if you did to white athletes, then certainly your career will be cut short. And they understand that. And so it's a game that they play. And that's why I don't listen to any of that those pundits and all that discussion on what someone should be doing, what someone is doing, what someone should be paid, what someone shouldn't be paid, blah, blah, blah. I don't even listen to that crap. Uh, you know, that's, the, you know, that for me, I mean, that's, that's the essence of, uh, of, uh, of essence of foolishness. So I don't listen to it. But I think, but the bottom line, Brother Africa, is, is all about business considerations. And so as long as they appease those positions of power, then they assure some longevity in terms of their jobs, you know, as pundits. For easy jobs, making lots of money, you know, as pundits. So and I'll close with that. Thank you, brother, Af- uh, brother Aki, brother Anthony. Again, you see how creative the capitalists are in terms of creating tools to undermine our value, even using us to go against us. Your response to this phenomenon, brother Anthony? Yeah, uh, that is an example of neocolonialism at work. In other words, you pit Africans against each other uh, uh, for, uh, you know, for financial gain, basically. And uh, and the African pundits who engage in this sort of uh, thing, uh, you know, they get pay- they get paid big bucks for what they do. And uh, and and if it means uh, uh, you know uh, selling out the, the uh, you know their own people in order to get big dollars, so be it. And uh, this is uh, and uh, this is an example of why neocolonialism is the biggest impediment of imperialism to Africa's liberation. Because uh, neocolonialism is a tool in which we, uh, it, it, which is used uh, in which Africans are pitted against each other uh, for the financial interests of the big bourgeoisie, and uh, and uh, and that is why uh, neocolonialism has to be dealt with. And only is only through political education and permanent organization can we uh, can we uh, uh, defeat neocolonialism in our community. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We're going to um, Brother Moses. Show take on the so-called analysts, sports analysts, and how they are being used as a tool. To undermine their own people, their own community, brother Moses, your thoughts. Right, I thought the the previous two people gave an excellent analysis, especially Haki uh, um, has the idea of functioning in the political economy. I mean, we live in a racist system. We were brought here for a job, and not to get paid, but to be exploited. 
and that's a continuation of that that um, spirit community. That's um, um, in sports arena, wherever they're trying to make a profit. Uh, um, they they undermine uh, African people's um, rights to uh, the fruits of their labor, and uh, the whole system is based upon exploiting and uh, getting the maximum amount of benefits with the least amount of pay. And, um, you know, that permeates the whole society. Uh, um, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Sister Eleanor, your take on this phenomenon. Sister Eleanor. Well, um, I agree with the last three analysts. Uh, This is... uh, uh one it is the uh the Willie Lynch story divide and conquer and it is a political economy but we have to remember that this week we celebrated international workers day and uh we have to remember our history the living breathing history that workers still make today and every day by just being working people. And uh, uh, this began in 1886 in the United States with mass protests of working people led to a general strike that mobilized 300,000 workers and expanded 13,000 businesses across the country. Well, it's time for these athletes to rethink their contracts and the um, speakers. I saw some of the speakers over the last week. They're former athletes themselves, and they're obviously paid very well to um, basically criticize the people that are working now. And this is uh, just a divide-and-conquer demonstration. So we need to remember the real demonstrations those of 1886 lasted for days in Chicago, and that police attacked picketers at the McCormick reaping a, a reaper workers, metal workers, killing six people, injuring many others. Remember Haymarket, and that, and then a bomb was thrown into a crowd of demonstrators and. Uh, it's always been suspected that one of the industrialists did that. So the reality is is that um, the war continues uh, in Zimbabwe with the lithium miners today on the baseball field, on the football field, on the basketball field. Think about how the NFL is going to Africa, well, we need to remember that the struggle for workers fighting authoritarianism, imperialism is going on, and we must unite with the many. We are divided and isolated, and these announcers are a demonstration of that division. But we need to think back and remember that labor remains the vanguard of the movement and and that is you know we're raging against these neoliberal this neoliberalism 
you know, and this reactionary authoritarianism that is having such a profound impact on society as well as social media. So uh, the reality is, is that the folks in football especially are, in effect, slaves. Well, high-paid slaves, but they're not paid enough because the reality is is the owners and the investors are who are really making the, the real money. The profits aren't split equally, and there's no ex-labor movement. Therefore, we can't expect any equity in the announcers and how they do their job. They're a part of the... Um, Sports arenas, uh, uh, slave uh, slavery, and people are working hard and getting little across this nation. Many people, they're not getting what they really deserve. There's a strong middle class, but they're still not getting what they deserve. So we just have to uh, remember that there is a great division. And it was best described by Brother Aki Anthony and Brother Moses. But uh, right, thank you, Sister Eleanor. The struggle let goes me, on. Let me bring in Brother Subukwe and get his perspective on this phenomenon. Using sports yes. analysis to undermine the economic value of African athletes is another symptom of um, making the slave attack. Another slave. Your response, brother. Superquake. Yes, yes. Yes, thank you, brother Africa. So basically, the superstructure, right? So we, we're, what we're talking about is aspects of a superstructure, the, the, the culture, right, or the, the propaganda, if you will, with these with sports in itself and the sports uh, analysts. This represents part of that superstructure. The superstructure basically represents the economic system. And when you have an economic system that, that economic system um, built off exploitation, murder, killing, rape, molestation, all of this stuff, racism, sexual, you know, all this stuff we talk about on a daily, daily, every Sunday on this show, um, this is what you're going to get with these ideas and, and these institutions that promote uh backwardness or, you know, reactionness. Uh, let me be, let me be quite frank. Um, exploitation, you know, degradation, all all of these uh, negative um, negative things that we experience, and the oppression, the homelessness, the brother that get choked out on the train, the uh, the brother that got that's getting killed, in, in in Ohio, the sister that got killed in Carolina, all of these things um, is 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 a perpetuation of the econo- economic system. What is the economic system we've been talking about? It's capitalism right so i'm just going to conclude um my comment with a with a with a with a quote uh from the book historical uh materialism by maurice confort and what he said on page 98 he said quote unquote now when capitalism is in decay and is being challenged by socialism the philosophers of the establishment have a very different tale to tell they say that reason is powerless, that knowledge is is an illusion. Please, uh, listeners and brothers and sisters, um, don't don't get don't continue to let uh, 
this superstructure promote um what is what is what is uh social media ignorance, right? Uh, we're gonna we 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 just gonna we're not gonna read. We're gonna go to social me- social media. We're gonna go to YouTube. We're gonna go to and I'm not saying not to use those resources, but don't let that be your final resource to get information. Get knowledge. Knowledge is power. Political education is more powerful, and that's the only thing that's gonna um that's gonna prevent us from having continuing to have these conversations about these sports newscasters like Charles Barkley, who is, you know, he, he's a victim uh, to this, to, 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 he's a victim to this oppression, you know, to this, um, uh, the knowledge that he don't have, right. The wisdom that he don't have the, the uh, and intelligence that they don't have. Right. We're, we're, they're giving us um, celebrities as, as to get our source of information from, you know, Nah, man. We we need to we need to put we need to be having more uh, intellectual conversations about okay we org you know okay we're organizing what's how we're gonna go about this Africa is going through this what we've been having um, and the only way you can have those more type of uh, conversations and that more type of um, planning if you join a revolutionary socialist Pan African organization like uh, AAPRPGC PRSP. Uh, Africa on the Move, um, Missing Pages of History. If you join these organizations, slang, um, youth organization that's still around, hanging on by a thread because it's, it's an out-of-pocket organization. But if you join a revolutionary pan-African organization or develop your own political book study group that can lead to some pan-African movement, that would be the best route uh, instead of depending on uh, Charles Barkley, Stephen A. Smith, and, or, or, or love, you know, or, or love and hip hop, and I'm not knocking um, Lorella these uh, rappers, but it, it depended, we, we depending on that one unbalanced um, source of basically entertainment for education, that ain't gonna cut it, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother Subukwe. So, panelists, let's make our transition to our theme tonight. After speaks to. The Big Bad Wolf. That's right. We're talking about the Big Bad Wolf. Africa's speaking to it today. In the context of the thing, uh, there are some very interesting um, social media videos that's out there where there seems to be a movement in Africa throughout the world where Africans are beginning to speak directly to the Big Bad Wolf. In this case, we're talking about the U.S. and its imperialist behavior. And before we had the discussion, one of the things I would ask myself was the basis for this particular uh, behavior. Why does there seem to be a growing um, resentment against the U.S. in terms of um, African so-called leaders is no longer seen to be fearful to speak to them as it relates to speaking truth to power? Is this something that was, came about because of the pressure that they are receiving from the rank and file at the bottom of the people? Or is it something that may have been designed like a social control enemy where they give the illusion that they want to be against these forces, but in reality, they really line up with them? So on that note, Brother High King, what you think is the conditions that's causing these so-called African leaders, the African now begin to speak direct to the U.S. and their so-called um, attitude and contradiction? 
as relates to this whole concept of, you know, democracy. And when we talk about democracy, you know, they want to tell us that democracy is based on participation of the people. Democracy is, is, is something that, um, you know, some, something that allows people the right to vote as they desire. You know, this whole question, they want to teach us. So what is this? This, 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 this feeling that seems to be um, going on where African leaders begin to um, call the U.S. to the carpet on their hip- hypocrisy around this issue. Your thoughts on this phenomenon, Brother Haki? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of things, Brother Africa. I think certainly it's the pressure being exerted by the masses of people who are becoming more and more enlightened in terms of, you know, the, the nature of, uh, you know, of, of, uh, of um, neocolonialism as it exists in Africa. I think also it has a lot to do in terms of the West's ability in terms of, you know, um, providing carrots to those who historically in Africa participated with the West in the exploitation of Africa. So I think to the extent that those carrots or those benefits in terms of participating in Western, Western colonialism has declined, I think the willingness of African leaders to participate has, has been decreasing. So I think it's a function of those two things, but I think it is good that you know, you know, increasingly uh, African leaders are beginning to 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 to, to fight back, and so when they critique in terms of what democracy is, and they concretely when they look at it in terms of things that manifest in the United States, and they, they're very, very clearly under no illusion that what they profess that Africa should be about, and what the United States in fact stand for, are two things that are very very inconsistent. So when you look at it in terms of internally, in terms of what goes in the U.S., when you talk about democracy in terms of egalitarianism, in terms of the greatest good for the greatest number of people, that's not what's going on. What's happening is you got a very small cabal of individuals who enjoy immense wealth of society at the expense of the many. And so Africa is saying that, well, wait a minute, you come and lecture us about democracy, but when I look at your society, then your society is anything but democratic. And so I think to the extent that African leadership has acknowledged that comes from the fact that increasingly the masses of, 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 of people in, on the continent, brothers and sisters on the continent, are come to the realization, you know, that something fundamentally skewed in terms of, you know, this relationship with the United States to the extent that whatever they allegedly do anything is good for us, we always pay a price. And so in that regard, I think they're beginning to look at the leaders and saying, wait a minute now, you're making deal with these people, but when you make deal with these people, we pay a hell of a price. And so I think it's I think it's sort of I think it sort of uh, uh, encourages African leadership to, if nothing more, to at least acknowledge the hypocrisy that exists. Now, the question you raise in terms of whether or not uh, you know their 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 stand is going to um, uh, 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 come about resemble anything you know concretely, uh, it remains to be seen whether or not you know to the extent that. Uh, you know, when we look in terms of African-Chinese relationships and in terms of people who are actually in, embracing China, actually doing business with China, that is a concrete step that, they, that in fact, if people, the African leaders are tired of U.S. hypocrisy and ready to move forward. But those who have yet to embrace China, who are holding on to hopes that somehow America will have a change of attitude toward its policy, I think for those individuals, I think that they're much more willing to, and certainly much more willing in terms of carrying out Western, Western, you know, uh, uh, Western, uh, Western platforms, even though those political platforms are detrimental to the aspirations and development of the African continent. So I think it's in that regard. I think it's a mixed bag. But I think clearly, you know, I I, I think that uh, we we cannot ne- negate uh, the, the the power of the people in terms of calling their leaders to account to account. And also, we have to create two individuals on the African continent in terms of 
really raised the, the issue in terms of uh, neocolonialism on the African continent, and that is Professor Pia Olamumba, and 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 uh, um, the brother out of uh, brother out of South Africa, um, um, what is his name? Member? No, what's the brother name? Out of South Africa. Um, um, I can't remember this guy's name. On the tip of my tongue, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Member? Me- anyway. I can't remember the name Julius, out of South Julius, Africa. Malima, you Julius Malima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Malima, yeah, Malima, Malima, yes, thank you, Brother Africa, Malima. So I think we got to also credit those brothers in terms of turning up the heat in terms of, you know, neocolonialism and those African leaders who participate in that whole process. So I think those things have been instrumental in terms of really uh, scaring a lot of African leaders because the thing is that once you have that kind of awareness among the masses of people, once the people are fed up to that extent, then the leaders understand that the people, just in terms of sheer desperation, are willing to do any and everything in terms of changing that situation. So in that context, I think African leaders are, are, are very much cognizant of the necessity of the need for real change, particularly as a relationship between you know, the U.S. and Africa. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Anthony, the Africans, Africa is speaking to the big bad wolf in terms of making statements of why should we believe in your democracy when your democracy supported apartheid, when your democracy um, supports the developed colonialism, when your democracy in essence supported oppression, when your democracy organized coups and killed African presidents, when your democracy have killed Gaddafi, Lumumba, and many African other African leaders and people around the world. Why should they embrace that kind of democracy, Brother Anthony? Do the Africans have a point? They do. And I'm glad that uh, that more Africans are starting, to, uh, are starting to realize that. And I think, uh, I think there are several factors involved. One, uh, one is... Uh, is uh, advances in communication technology means that Africans have the ability in the diaspora to communicate with their brothers and sisters at home on a more regular and frequent basis than they than they've had, uh, uh, you know, throughout our history. I think that's one factor. So that, uh, and also the fact that the cap, uh, what goes on in capitalist countries gets sent all over the world through their media. So, uh, so, so, so the contradictions, uh, the the calls uh, for, for 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 democracy by these uh, U.S. government officials, uh, you know, are starting to ring hollow. In the minds of the uh, uh, of the masses of Africans at home, because they see what, uh, what 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 goes on in the U.S. What happened to Amadou Diallo, for example, uh, the uh, the uh, the racism and the and the mass murders that occur in the U.S. That information gets broadcast all over the world through various media. And also through social media as well. So Africans are, 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 are and also Africans uh, 
you know, that settle in the diaspora are starting to exchange information on a more frequent uh, basis with uh, their brothers and sisters at home. So, uh, so Africans are becoming increasingly aware of the, uh, 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 of the capitalist countries. And that is why there's this pushback in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, the capitalist countries dictating what democracy should be uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to Africans at home. And also, also the fact that they're developing relationships with other countries like China, like India, uh, you know, uh, you know, gives, uh, you know, Africans an alternative. And uh, when Africa starts to unify, that's when the, get, uh, the, the game will finally be over with. But uh, it is a good sign that Africans are starting to see through uh, the rhetoric of these uh, uh, U.S. politicians that are trying to impose their brand of democracy on Africa. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, talk to me, Sister Eleanor. Mother Africa tells the Big Bad Wolf that you have a history and a system that believes in enslavement of other human beings. You have a history and system that tell people money profits more than more than human beings. You have a history and a system just all the things that makes a human being good, you goes against. So why should they believe in the U.S. democracy, Sister Eleanor? Talk to me. Well, um, they take a look at the United States when they visit here at the high unemployment rate, uh, at uh, health care workers, and, and, and they're like uh, uh, the fast food workers, uh, the the cleaners, the textile weavers, the delivery people, the sanitation workers, they're the peasants of the United States. And then they look and realize their history and that the the fight for dignity among workers is uh is is the face of brutal exploitation today and Everything created on earth is created through human labor. And so they look at an imperialist country where we had a autocrat for president, Donald Trump, who was trying to have a coup d'etat in January 6, 2021. We've seen 39 states pass voter restriction laws and take away a woman's right to health care and the control of her body. We see that women and children live in adverse poverty. We see that the United States supported apartheid and racism and Rhodesia, apartheid in South Africa. We see that uh, they have been involved in the Republic of the Congo. We see all the great leaders, Moak Gaddafi, who wanted to have an independent economic system for Africa, destroyed by Western forces. 
we see uh, Nasser, a uh, uh, great Egyptian leader, destroyed by Western forces. So we, you look around the world and we act as if the Africans live in a vacuum. They saw Salvador Allende destroyed by Western forces. We see the barcade. They see the barcade against Cuba, a revolutionary government established in January 1, 1959, and we still have that embargo. They know that we have problems. We occupied Guantanamo Bay where we tortured people, where we had children that went there. And when George W. Bush invaded Iraq, we saw Iraq plundered. Their museums, their libraries, their banks. We saw an urban war, people's homes. So why would you trust or expect such a place with so many struggles built on the foundation of chattel slavery itself, having failed to pay any uh, reparations to this day. And uh, homelessness is uh, rampant in this country, and we're the only country on earth that routine and regularly has these mass shootings. Uh, as I mentioned before, no, no one, no one uh, is going to support the U.S. and our vice president going there and being of uh, uh, Asian and Caribbean uh, uh, descent. Let them think about something else. Why have the chattel slavery, the people that are the descendants of chattel slavery, not arrived in any of these positions yet? Why are they so oppressed? And when they look at that, they look back at themselves and say, we need to teach these people something about democracy. We need to teach them that each vote counts and maybe to step away from the electoral college to rethink things. Thank you, Sister Alnoa. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you know, one of the things that the Big Bad Wolf tried to tell the world that they believe in human rights in reality, they are the greatest violations of human rights. One of the other things that they are a great violator in is that they are not a signatory on the International Criminal Court. So when it comes to universal institutions where all people have to go by the same rules, they are in opposition to it. Speak to that hypocrisy, Brother Moses. Certainly. Uh, the U.S. Is, you know, has been a, uh, a tyrant, a bully, and a imperialist force for centuries, for a long time now. And uh, so, you know, the world is aware of this, um, but there's always been leaders in Africa and around the world who who stood up and said, spoke truth to power, and they paid for it with their lives. And so, you know, you know we've, we've seen 
we, you know, there's consciousness in Africa. Where there's oppression, there's resistance. So there's going to always be someone who not, who sees what's going on. It's impossible to fool all the people all the time. And so, you know, uh, I don't know. The U.S. The U.S. Uh, we need we need organization. I guess we need we need organization. We need to be be able to organize people around consciousness, political consciousness, and so so that they are a mighty force that uh that moves at, at one in one in one uh uh accord. Uh because like I said, this this the people have spoken truth to power before. You know, we we've got to organize. We got we got to, we got to organize. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Subukwe, I'd like to hear your thoughts on when African people write the history of the role of Kamala Harris, what do you think that history may say? I, I could tell you what it should say. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what it should say is that Kamala Harris is a neo-colonialist, uh, neo-colonialist, uh, you know, she is a traitor to African people. Uh, she's a puppet. She's a sellout. She's, uh, um, you know, she's bought into this system of neo-colonialism. And, and, and to Africans here in America, she's an example of domestic, uh, domestic colonialism. Or neocolonialism, you know. This, this, this is what she is. She is not. She, she's a sheep. No, what I just say, she's a wolf. You talk about a big bad wolf. She, she's another wolf in sheep's clothing. She comes over there. She cries at the, the door of what you call the door of no return in Ghana. Uh, but did she speak about Nkrumah? Did she visit? Did she visit? Uh, uh, did she visit a cry where Nkrumah rests at? Did she did she call on him for some guidance on how to really lead uh African people to uh what she talks about freedom and equality and liberation? That's what that, you know, that's what that's what it sh- I can tell you what it should say about her and um what and what she should what she should be doing, you know, but they always do that, man. They always get their uh African puppet and let them and, and go and send them over to Africa and let them, you know, or or Cuba as well. Anywhere, anywhere where they see um, uh, progressing on on uh, 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 development of, of of working class people going on, like they did in Libya, Gaddafi. What he was giving out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. He was giving out thirty five thousand dollars to newlyweds uh, families. Housing was 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 free housing, you know. And what they do with Libya. What they did with Gaddafi is a hellhole. You got Africans dying at the sea. She's not speaking on that, you know. Uh, with Obama, first thing he did, he got he got in office. He sniped. He 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 ordered a hit, and they sniped out some Africans who was trying to trying to survive. They call them pirates, and, and that's the first thing he did. And then he goes to Libya and take out Gaddafi. Then they make a movie based on Tom Hanks playing this guy. As the hero, and may and portray the Af- the African brothers in that movie as villains, as criminals. 
these brothers was just surviving. surviving. They, they were victims. You see, you come. They send these big ships and corporations to take all the fish around the coastal areas of Africa. How you think you 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 how you how you suspect uh, our people to survive if you're taking all the fish uh, from, from the fishing areas, man? They're doing the same thing here in America. Africans, let me. I gotta say this: Africans. My wife's uncle. He's a, he's a, he's a fisherman, and not to put him on blast, but. He 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 knew all of the fishing spots. Now all of a sudden they shut down these fishing spots, right? Then the same thing they're going on in the country or whatever. They, the Africans they we, we find the fishing spot and then they come over there and close it up or they you know they made a proper property. This is the thing what capitalism does, man. But to get back to your question, brother Africa, that's what the shit says about Kamala Harris, a traitor, a neo-colonialist. She, she care about profit over people. Thank you. That's right. So we talk about neocolonialism. Um, brother Hakeem, the point that Brother uh, Sabuque just raised about Kamala Harris, how would you think history would view from an African perspective and interest uh, Barack Obama? Is there any difference between the two and their role as it relates to undermining African development and well-being? <laughs> no, uh, no. I, I think they will be viewed one and the same. I, I think that, you know, when Obama bombed the, that pharmaceutical plant in um, in Sudan, knowing how desperately the people need medication in that part of the world, uh, it pretty much uh, established uh, who Barack Obama really was. One of the things is that you know people were ex- exuberant in, over the fact that you got an African, you know, you know, in that White House. But what they didn't understand was that, you know, simply because, you know, he was an African did not, does not necessarily translate and certainly didn't translate. And it's anything meaningful in terms of policy to the, to, the, to the benefit of African people both in the United States and in Africa. So, so in other words, Barack Obama was a quintessential um, uh, neocolonialist. Uh, you know, he was able to, to articulate policy, to get policy passed, but it was, was disadvantageous, was very destructive to the aspirations of African people, not just in America, but throughout the world. Uh, you know, uh, of course, there was, there, was, there was at some point, you know, given the fact that uh, as, as a person of color, he was able at least to articulate in terms of some of the, some of the quantifiable injustices that inflicted upon African people in America, uh, but those were few and far between. You know, one of the things is that when I think back about his sitting down and having a discussion uh, with with with, uh, with this police officer and uh, this guy Skip Yates, who's a uh, who's a, who's a a, um, a historian uh, at, Yale, at Yale University, I'm sorry, Harvard University. Uh, when he sat in that discussion, remember when the, they they went to his house, to uh, Gates' house, and the police roughed him off at his own house, and he was trying to explain, "This is my house," and they refused to verify in fact it was his house. They just roughed him up and took him in. Well, Obama said, made a statement that, you know, in fact, uh, you know, what happened to Skip Gates never should have happened. And then he intimated, in fact, if he was a, if he was a person of European, uh, this one certainly wouldn't have happened. Well, he backed down on that, on that statement. Uh, it didn't take very much pressure from the mainstream media to force him to back down on that, on that, on that, on that statement. Uh, he just totally backed away from that statement. But what he essentially said was that when you talk about the racial oppression of African people, utilizing the police, you know, as a force, you know, to maintain the subjugation of African people, he was absolutely correct. But when it came at him, he backed off because he didn't want to be perceived 
as someone who was concerned, or at least, or someone who was willing to acknowledge the uh, the oppression of African people in American society. And so, in the, clearly, so when we talk about the international arena, when we talk about in terms of you know, the kind of policies that he waged, uh, when you talk about the, the just, you know, in terms of his characterization, in terms of the plight of Africa, of Africa, when he refused to acknowledge the systematic oppression of Africa, in terms of you know financial institu- international financial institutions. In terms of Western policy, specifically for the express purpose, in terms of keeping Africa underdeveloped, or in terms of in terms of Africa's inability in terms of set its own commodity prices, when he endorsed those practices, which in fact reinforce uh, all these all these hardships inflicted on Africa, it said much about who he was in terms of the human being. So I think we have to understand first and foremost, I mean, history looks at Barack Obama and uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris then history would be very, very clear in terms of who they were. Even at this point we're not clear on who they are, I think history would be a better judge in terms of who these people actually were, in terms of just how corrosive they were in terms of empowerment of African people, not just in America, but throughout the world, and in particular in, in Africa. So I, I think that in a nutshell, Brother Africa, they're both be perceived as near colonialists to the extreme, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Aki. Um, Brother Anthony, can you speak to the dichotomy of this contradictions of they want to politicize, politicize the LGBTQ community and pose that community on African nations, regardless of their history, their culture, their values, while at the same time they don't hold other countries who may have worse behavior towards that particular community like in Saudi Arabia, you know, and some of the um, other countries in the areas where they trade, what kind of contradiction does that make them uh, out to be? When you come and tell them, post something on the community, even in the U.S., they have not even recognized fully gay this community, their so-called uh, um, respect and legitimacy. Your response to that phenomenon, Brother Anthony? I think the LGBTQ community is being used, uh, you know, for political ends by uh, by uh, U.S. political officials, Kamala Harris in particular, in order to further uh, uh, to in, in total disrespect of Africa's history and culture, and. Uh, Africa has never had the same problem with LGBTQ communities that Europeans had. And uh and uh and they and uh the uh Africans approach to that historically has been very different from that of Europeans. Uh Europe has a, a history a long history of intolerance. Uh, towards religion, uh, religious beliefs, or, uh, or or various lifestyles that never existed in Africa, and uh, and also to impose to try to impose that on Africa, where uh, where, where where Africa, where the masses of African people have a host of other problems. They have problems with, uh, uh, you know, protecting their environment. 
you know, pre- pre- preventing uh, wildlife from going extinct and, uh, you know, being able to provide food, clothing, and shelter for the African masses. Those are much bigger problems than, uh, than, than, than a relatively small sector of the African community. And uh, the hypocrisy lies in the fact that it is not something that's even that's accepted in the U.S. Yet U.S. political figures go around impose, trying to impose that on Africa. And uh, and uh, uh, and uh, thanks to the media, the people can see through that. And. Um, you know, and the thing, and and the thing is, though, uh, uh, you know, Africans need to stick to their priorities, and uh, and that is being able to provide food, clothing, shelter uh, for the masses of the people, and ensure their happiness. And uh, and also, uh, one of the political figures in Africa pointed out that democracy doesn't always take the same form throughout the world. And it does not. And and in the day sovereignty is more important. Excellent point, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, when we talk about America bringing democracy to you, norm that comes with constraints, preconditions, but more importantly, it comes with an empty check. They don't bring anything, but they tell you what they want from you. So in that kind of environment, Sister Eleanor, why would Africa want to trade with a partner like that when they may have partners such as China? When they come, they come with a checkbook. They come and ask you what you want, what you need, and let's do this jointly together. Your response, Sister Eleanor. Well, the global supply chain forces workers to risk their lives in the service of bosses, shareholders, and empires. So that says it all right there. And uh, I mentioned earlier International Workers' Day. We should call it uh, Workers' Memorial Day because workers continue to go to work, but many never come home from work. In fact, I think more people are killed at work each year than at war. And, uh, you know, we know this with the lithium mines in, in Zimbabwe. We, we, we know uh, about the cocoa farmers being impoverished and chocolate selling for a fortune in European countries. So the, the reality is that... Uh, Neo-colonialism and then sending a neoliberal neoliberalism to to Africa, where Africa again has seen the reactionary authoritarianism which the U.S. is living under right now. Their eyes are not closed to people like Crow and these organizations, these right-wing organizations being run by the industrialists to direct legal policy 
and laws in in our country, and they've seen the impact that uh, these evangelists had on the parliament of uh, in Uganda in these uh, racist legislative actions, claiming it was uh, U.S. imported uh, homosexuality and all of that. So the reality is is that workers right now around the world and governments, progressive governments uh, and progressive people are standing up against these uh, neo-colonialist governments. I think about the Benin sculptures that were being returned from the United States and Amsterdam and how the curators and the Historians didn't want them to go back to Nigeria because they didn't feel they'd be safe because of the neo-colonialists. So they're not blind to what's going on at home nor what's going on here. And unfortunately, our vice president's words were empty. She wasn't able to offer anything solid. They're not helping build a strong infrastructure in Africa. And they're watching, Africans are watching the infrastructure in the United States collapse while we're having some type of world-ravaging gentrification across the country, giving away public lands to developers and making a few rich while impoverishing others. And we're using uh, things like food and housing as if they're commodities like uh, pork bellies rather than realizing human rights and environmental rights. And they see what we are doing in terms of the environment and how the people of the global south are paying. They're not the cause of this outrageous global warming but they are the newest and and uh, folks being hit most severely. No one's escaping, don't get me wrong, Brother Africa, and to our listening audience, but uh, people are not blind, and they uh, lack basic things such as water, irrigation systems, uh, Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, wasn't talking about building wells or digging for deep wells or establishing schools or reforestation or um, clean energy, more windmills, utilizing solar technology to operate uh villages that uh, might be isolated but could be a global paradise, you know, with proper technology. She didn't speak to any of those things. She was using the old party line from the 1970s. I don't think anybody heard anything new, and I don't think there was much uh, to be gleaned from this, it, it was basically the United States rushing into Africa because of the fact that China has been so engaged in uh, the 
African economy and uh, making money. You know, some people are using the Chinese currency already, and they're not only selling uh, uh, their products and find that Africa is a huge market just like the United States, they're also able to sell their cultural products. And uh, this puts the United States in a, a very compromised position, but having our African heritage uh, vice president just show her face isn't enough. People are looking for real solutions to the environmental crises. They're looking for a way to find equality and a raising of the working class standard of living. And we didn't discuss any of those things. Uh, She didn't even bring up International Workers' Day. Uh, she, I believe the U.S. is still blaming world hunger on the uh, Russian and Ukrainian conflict. So uh, it was Karl Marx who wrote in uh, the Economics and uh, uh, Philosophic Manuscripts of 1884 that the entire so called history of the world is nothing but. Uh, the creation of man through labor, uh, and labor makes our world and struggle makes us human. So I don't think much came out of uh, 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 her visit. Um, If anything, maybe a few people who saw the visit for what it is may uh, break their shackles, break the shackles of capitalism and, and imperialism to construct a new uh, society or new societies in their so- sovereign countries uh, instead of uh, uh, suffering. You know, instead, I think more people will fight for dignity and the right uh, to live a decent life in the face of uh, imperialism and exploitation today. Uh, The vice president came a little too late. Too little too late. Thank you, Sister Alador, to Brother Brother Subukwe. I will ask you to respond to this situation. When you come to the negotiation table with your with your opposition or with your business partners, etc., and your business partner or opposition sees you and accepts you for who you are, that seems to be a good thing. But what happens when your Opposition or your so-called business partner asks you to sit at the table, but he doesn't want you to be yourself. What is he saying to you? And that's what the Africans are running across when it comes to negotiate with the big bad wolf, the U.S. Your response, Brother Maurice? Yes. Well, when somebody wants, like you said, wants to wants me to sit at the table with them to discuss business, but they don't accept me for you know, I, I can't sit and be myself. 
there's something, something wrong with that dynamic, brother. It's, you know, it sounds it, it, it sounds like for one thing, uh, they try to dominate the the relationship or the you know let, you know let's be frank they they try to dominate the natural resources they're trying to dominate uh um uh, uh how can you say um our destiny if you were my destiny let's 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 keep it in the context as you present it right I'm sitting at a table with this this quote unquote business business partner he don't want me to be myself okay that's a sign that's signifying to me he want to dominate who I am he want to dominate He's going to control control my resources. He's going to control my business uh, um, intentions. If he if he want to control and and, 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 and want to dominate on how I, you know how, I, I can't be myself. <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying? I don't want you dressed like that or what have you. But I'm I'm just trying to keep it in in, in your example. If he don't want me to be myself, he, he got a problem with me being myself. He he's going to end up dominating and controlling uh, my views on my direction i want to go with my business if you will he's going to he want to he want he's going to want to have control and and, and have 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 a dominance on on what i see what, what what i want to sell who i want to do business with if you understand my 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 gist or what i'm what i'm going with this but yeah that's and i'm just, like i said I'm just sticking to your example so yes he's going to definitely try to um have control not on not only uh, how I present myself, but he's gonna have, or how I care how, how, if I want to be myself, right? He's gonna control everything, you know. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna want, he, you know. I conclude with this: he's gonna want want me to wear a wig as a judge, even though that's not my rare rare hair. But yeah, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Subukwe. What we're gonna do? We're gonna take a rubbish to the culture break, and we'll be coming back. We're going to close out that theme discussion today on Africa Speaks to the Big Brother. And this is the million-dollar question for all of my panelists and analysts. And for those who listen to the phone, if you'd like to respond to it, just hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Hit one. But this is the question. If you get a chance to sit at the table with the Big Bad Wolf, what will you say to the Big Bad Wolf? That's the question I want y'all to think about. And when we come back, we'll let each one of y'all to respond to it. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, what's up, man? Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can come 
if you're sitting at the table and you got to meet the big bad wolf, what would you say to the big bad wolf? We'll start with you, Brother Moses. Give your final thoughts for the night. Certainly we want to say that the days are numbered, that uh, there's no chance of of survival for this system and must be completely dismantled and a political economy of revolutionary Marxism, Leninism, uh, and uh, a people who are serving the people and guided by by political revolutionary theory, uh, serve the people, keep politics in command. This is the future of this country and the world. And this, some people have reached that conclusion, while others are yet to reach there, but inevitably they will be reached. And it's a struggle. It's a struggle to each one to convince one uh, to just change the world. And uh, it's a struggle that takes place every day, and sooner or later it will pay off. We just we just have to keep the faith. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next we go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what would you say to the big bad wolf? Well, as far as the big bad wolf goes. Um, Brother Maurice, I'm going to say what Shirley Chisholm said. She said that they don't give you a seat at the table. Bring your own. And I think this is where Africa is today, the people on the continent. they are. It's a young continent in terms of the age of the people. And as Brother Maurice said, that's where education comes in. And uh, that's where we need to reach out uh, to each other, the diaspora as well as the Africans at home. We need to reach out, educate our youth and ourselves and stand up against uh, neocolonialism and imperialism. The biggest problem right now seems to be the, the colonialism. They're interested in the the money that they're making uh, under the table. Uh, we look and see what happened with the prime minister in Ethiopia. He got a peace prize, but yet we see uh, the Tigray people being oppressed and ravaged, and the Oromos stood up the largest tribe in Ethiopia stood up in unity with the Turei, and no one paid any attention. We act as if these people that were forced into refugee camps were the problem, and we didn't address the issue of the prime minister that the, the whole Western world has supported and given him a peace prize, a European peace prize. So uh, imperialism is the problem. Colonialism um, is is fostering uh, the ravaging uh, of Africa right now, but that is changing and will have to change because of the climate crisis. So uh, I think that's where we're going. We're going to see people who are coming digging wells will be well-received. 
people coming, educating doctors will be well received. And I do not think the world will forget Moak Gaddafi, one of the great uh, liberators of Africa, or Nguma, or uh, Ture, and or uh, any of uh, the great leaders, and they will wake up and know that it's time for a new day. We'll figure out what's happening with the Nigerian election. At least they were able to battle it out in court instead of having a coup d'etat as we uh, had here, an attempted coup d'etat in here in the United States. So i just like to say for allowing me to be on the, on the show this evening and uh, being a part of the uh, solution and that uh, uh, everyone is watching the United States. The feds just had to raise the uh, uh, inflation rate another quarter point after the um, CPI, Consumer Price Index, had already been published, causing suffering for the working class, pushing people deeper into poverty and uh, the struggle for dignity, democracy, and uh, economic security and peace and global justice are what's happening at times and it's up to the young people to lead us forward and we will go forward and as Rosen Luxemburg wrote in 1894 May Day may be the yearly expression of these demands the end of colonialism and the oppression of people around the world. Oppressed people unite. Thank you and good night to the audience. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. And we go to our brother Sabukwe. You at the table. What would you say to the Big Bad Wolf? Well, well, first, uh, and not to be long with it, I want to say to the panelists and, and, and you, Brother Adler, thank you for always allowing me on the show. I know I've been missing, um, but thank you so much, man, for, bear, for bearing with me and understanding uh, personal struggles, man. But it's honestly nothing to say to these capitalists, you know, uh, to, to these imperialists. And to borrow um, Sister Eleanor's, uh, uh, terminology as uh, here at the table. I I would take the chair and you know and throw it at there, throw it at them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because I mean, there's nothing to say. I mean, I mean, we've seen this from generation to generation of of um, freedom fighters such as MLK or whether it's Malcolm X or 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 whoever it is trying to confine to with, to, to 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 these people with sentiments. Um, and, and even Nkrumah let his guard down with with, with uh, John F. Kennedy thinking Kennedy uh, taking that charisma, um, you know, thinking that he's different. These people are not different. They come and grin to you like Obama did to Hugo Chavez, and I ain't making no I ain't saying no conspiracy theories. The man shook his hand. 
Next thing you know, he's got cancer. He's gone. He's out of here. I'm just saying, ain't nothing for me to say to these people, to them. I would go to, I want to see at the table with my people, and I want to build with my people um, so we can put people over, over profit and build up a scientific socialist united Africa and a scientific socialist system eliminating borders. I have nothing to say to the big bad wolf. I want to kill the big bad wolf system, eliminate and prevent other people um, from from tra- being trained to become big bad wolves. Uh uh-uh. uh, I'm not I'm not with them. Put me with the pigs. Thank you. And that them pigs in blue. Brother Sabuque, you in the seat? You gonna take the heat and you define it? You gonna stand behind it, brother? We hear you. Let's go to that brother Haki. Brother Haki, you at the table with the big bad wolf? What would you say to him? Well, I have to uh, reiterate the sentiments of Brother Sabrukwe. I'm, I'm telling you, the problem is that in trying to have some kind of discourse with the big bad wolf, the hubris uh, gets in the way. Uh, it's not likely they're going to listen to anything they have to say. More importantly, Brother Africa, I think we have to acknowledge, you know, that they understand clearly what's going on. It's not in their interest to acknowledge what's going on because they're in a fight to, um, to ensure the survival of white supremacy. And so, therefore, anything that questions white supremacy, they simply don't want to hear. But having said that, Brother Africa, I think what I would say to them is that you know, just, just, just to be, you know, just to pass the time of day, I would say to them, listen, your only collision course uh, with history, I mean, there's so many things going on that are not, uh, 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 are not uh, very good, you know, for the longevity of this system. You know, recently there was a situation where uh, a Pac West Bank and Western Alliance Banks both were doing so poorly in terms of in terms of earnings that they literally had to stop the stock market from selling those stocks. Now, here's the problem: when you get to a situation where banks have to stop, uh, you have to close the, the 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 stock market to accommodate bank losses. The problem is that for every one point. Uh, that's lost as a result of closing down the stock market, that correlates to over 10,000 jobs lost. So you have two banks whose trading trading activities were stopped on the stock market. So you talk about at a minimum, you're talking about 20,000 jobs and eliminated just from those two organizations. Now, superimposed upon that, you got a situation brother Eleanor, Sister Eleanor alluded to, where the Federal Reserve raised the interest rate 0.25%. 20, for 25 of a point. Now, when you think about it in terms of the elevation of interest rates, and the fact that you've been elevating interest rates for the last for the last year and a half, and despite this attempt in terms of moderating the economy, these interest rates have done nothing in terms of slowing unemployment, slowing homelessnesses, uh, in terms of rising food prices. Uh, the economy it continues to spiral out of control, spiral out of control. So you ask yourself, well, if you if you raise it 25 percent of a point, and previous cuts were ineffective, then do you really think that the 25 percent of a point cut of interest rates, uh, interest rates increases, is going to actually stimulate or do something, do anything to the, for the economy? The bottom line is it would do absolutely nothing. And because what we have to fundamentally understand is that when you talk about the decline of capitalism, all of these, all this decline is a direct result. Of the plunder and greed that's been practiced over centuries uh, that's coming to roost. And so we should understand that, you know, when you talk about interest rate increase and in attempt in terms to 
to uh, uh, free the economy up, free the economy up. The bottom line economy is so poor, uh, you know, forget about the national debt, but the economy itself is so poor, when you talk about 25, 0.25% of a point interest rate increase, then essentially what you're talking about removing, you know, millions of dollars from the economy. The country cannot afford to remove millions of dollars from the economy because it's already at the recession level. And so we're, clearly we got some problems. And lately, you know, I would say to them, listen, you know, you go to store and the food prices rise every Every day food prices rise, not weekly, not monthly, but daily. How do you justify such a thing? Uh, the problem is that certainly when you talk about the consumer price index, and, and, and often depending on what, what measurement you use for the consumer price index, it doesn't measure the, the, uh, food, the, rise, the rise in food prices or, um, or, or cost in terms of oil, oil and so forth, those kind of things. So not all consumer price indexes measure the, the, the overall prices of food and, or, or, or energy. So depending on what index you use is going to determine is going to determine you know why these prices are actually rising. Uh, one of the things we can't get away from when we talk about the rise of the food prices, we cannot get away from the fact, you know, that you know one of the things in terms of gaining revenues for the government, given the fact that the government got all these investments in the forms of, of bonds that it sells, you know, uh, you know that it sells, you know. When you talk about you know, paying people off for purchasing those bonds, it takes money. Well, the money has to come from somewhere. If the economy is in decline, so the question becomes, where is the money going to come from to pay these investors for purchasing these government bonds? Well, it comes from it comes from this, it comes from the people. It comes from rising food prices, and so therefore, when we look at the food prices, you know, um, you know, uh, there's no end in sight. And one unfortunate aspect in terms of rising food prices, as the prices rise, people's inability to actually purchase food diminishes. If people opportunity uh, uh, opportunity to purchase food diminish, it too has a devastating impact on the government's not only its revenues but also the business the, the business world in terms of uh, its need in terms of you know uh, in terms of uh, revenues uh, to just to maintain a business. So as these food stores don't make business, then their ability to stay open becomes compromised. It means they have no recourse but to go out of business, which is in itself. Problematic, and in fact, when you talk about a lot of urban areas, there is in the food deserts in which there are no stores from which people to shop. So we're talking about actually an increase in terms of food deserts happening in the society. All all the result of economic policies is geared toward the, the interest of a small cabal, small interest about one percent of the population, at the expense of ninety nine percent of the population. Also, I would say to you, brother Africa, you know, one thing we talk about you know, rising unemployment. And when we talk about the fact that corporations are talking about 360,000 jobs within one quarter, and that raises the specter that given the fact that you, if you're going to cut 360,000 jobs in, three, in a matter of three months, if you extrapolate, if you look at down the road, let's say nine months later in terms of potential cuts, then conceivably you're looking at tens of millions of, of potential tens of millions of cuts, of job cuts. Given that reality, fundamentally you have to ask yourself, with those kind of people out of work, uh, in terms of when you, in terms of government need for, for resources, or uh, certain governments need a, a revenues. When you think about the governments need of revenues, well, with, with, with millions of people off effectively out of work, then seriously, where are those government revenues going to come from? It can't come from rising food prices, but people are not buying any food, as much food as they used to because they don't have the funds to do so. So fundamentally, that's a problem. So the question to the big bad wolf is, what you going to do? And finally, Brother Africa, I would say, you know, one thing also 
That's the result of the greed and average of the capitalist system, the inhumanity of capitalism. Given the fact, you know, that it screwed people over centuries, governments over centuries, people are catching up to the reality in terms of, you know, um, the oldest nature of capitalism, and people don't want any part of it. So they're rejecting it across the board. Recently, you know, um, 25 countries offered to join the BRICS, and the BRICS are setting up their own, uh, setting up their own uh, monetary system. In fact, it should be effective in two years. So they're going to get away from the dollar entirely. So you have 25 other countries that want to join the BRICS to stop using the dollar. Well, when that happens, fundamentally, it means the value of the dollar is worth zilch, nothing, nada. So we got a problem. So you got lots of people who depend on dollars eternally, you know, for their survival. But yet, the currency itself is not worth anything. What do you do? Of course, the government responds that we're going to have digital currency, central bank digital currency, to address that deficit, and that's fine. But the problem is that even if they create digital currency to drop to, 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 to account for that deficit in terms of you know earnings, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything in terms of U.S. relationships abroad because nations around the world say we're fed up with the U.S. and its capitalism. We're fed up with anything doing with the United States. They're not going to buy into this notion in terms of this, uh, you know, digital, these, these digital currencies, central bank digital currencies. They wouldn't want any parts of it. So it's still going to complicate U.S. ability in terms of trade, in terms of, in terms of getting things done, in terms of investments. So clearly these are major, major, pro- major, major problems. And the question is, what are you going to do, Mr. Big? What are you going to do, Big Bad Wolf? You created the problems. Now what are you going to do about these problems? But more importantly, Brother African, listen, it's a question is, what are the masses of people going to do in terms of these problems? Um, and generally speaking, but specifically speaking, in terms of the African community, the question is, what are you going to do? Because we know these these um, uh, 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 maladies, these unfortunate incidences, are going to impact the African community much harder than other communities. We have our work cut out for us, and we have to understand, you know, that these problems aren't going anywhere, and we have to underst- acknowledge these problems exist begin those organization institutions that we need to fight back because the bottom line is that we really don't have a choice and it's that simple. And I certainly hope uh, that the big bad wolf could appreciate my argument, probably not, but I certainly would hope at least they would appreciate the argument and at least begin to weigh some type of discussions around the, the, um, the inequality of the capitalist system and why it, has, why it must be abandoned. And I close with that, Brother Africa. You have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. As you know, Brother Haki, the Big Bad Wolf once stated, there are no rights to man that a white man should respect when it comes to an African. So that's its history. So, Brother Anthony, talk to us. You at the table? What would you say to the Big Bad Wolf? Get your get your knee off of Africa's neck. Uh, and uh, allow Africans to develop as other uh, as uh, other human beings are allowed to develop on this planet. But uh, bearing that, I know that that would be in vain. The key thing is, as Brother Haki correctly stated, is what are Africans going to do? And uh, in that spirit, I would like to offer up a a solution. 
our theme for this year's African Liberation Day Palestine Day commemoration. Pan-Africanism, ways in class struggle in Africa and the diaspora. Fighting for one unified socialist Africa. That is the solution, ultimately, to all the problems we're facing worldwide. And uh, you can find out more details about our activities for this month by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And check frequently because uh, things are very fluid, so things are, are subject to change. But check every few days for the latest information on our activities for this year's African Liberation Day, Palestine Day 2023. And on that note, I thank you for having me on the program tonight, Brother Africa. And we thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution as well to to today's program. We'd like to thank all our political panelists our listening audience, our friends and supporters for allowing us to come to their home this evening where we can speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. we also like to thank you for those who are helping us to popularize this radio program, which come on every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. It's under the banner of the African Women Association. For those who would like to support us and become a a friend of Africa on the Move Radio, please email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. If you'd like to make a donation to our work in this program, you can do that as well. By easily, you can do it by Zelle, and you write African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. That's the email you use if you can use Zelle. Or if you want to do a cash app, you can do dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, Small C, small R, small O, and small B. We thank you for your support. And like always, we actually describe to go forward ever. Backwards Never, I'm Brother Africa, your host. Don't forget our TV program that you can see on a on a regional basis. At this point in time, if you live in the Richmond metropolitan area. You can go to Comcast or Verizon, channel 95 and 26. We all now at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. Support the program, the network, and overall support your people by supporting us. So until next time, we thank you again. And remember, through organization, all things are possible. We encourage you to join an organization that's fighting for the liberation of your people in Africa. Until next time, we're going to leave you with some music uh, inspiration, and we'll see you next week. This has been Africa on the Moon.
as long as you're a black man, you're an African. No mind your nationality, have got the identity of an African. Negroes. 